Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. Joining me, as always, is Pete. Hiya, Pete. Hey, everybody. I am Pete, and I am still Iron Man. Still, after these three different Iron Man episodes. Well, Pete, before we delve into Iron Man 3, as we get oh so close, 24, less than 24 hours away from the premiere of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 8 p.m., on Tuesday, September 24th on ABC. Of course, elsewhere, if you're outside the US of A. Pete, who is our sponsor this week? Our sponsor, Matt, is the famed Grauman's Chinese Theater. That place is the bomb. Wow. Quite a quite a good reference. I thought you were going to go with advanced idea mechanics, although I think that would have been a little bit too, uh, or maybe not memorable enough from Iron Man 3. Uh, definitely not. Well, we are indeed talking Iron Man 3 today, and similar to our, our previous episode, the one from a couple days ago, we're going to flash back to the thoughts that Pete and I had after, uh, after seeing this movie, and um, kind of let you, let you relive that experience, and uh, after that we will come back having fully recapped the, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, then we'll just have our, I guess, our final thoughts until we finally get to see agents of shield so pete are you ready to go all the way back to back to uh may 3rd 2013 i got my 3d goggles on now oh here we go so obviously today pete here we are at the end of this mammoth three or four day weekend at least here in the united states where iron man 3 has uh premiered you and i saw it on friday night and uh here we are to give our thoughts pete why don't you start before I throw some stats, before I throw some uh, other various thoughts at you. What were your uh, your initial reactions there? Really liked it. I think it is easily the best entry in the series. Uh, Shane Black brought uh, some great energy, um, moving it forward from what John Favreau had set it up. Um, a fitting end to a trilogy here. Yeah, I certainly agree. And I think that, you know, everybody in the world loved Iron Man 1. Iron Man 2 was severely lacking. Oh, Pre- it's it's god-awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, there there's there's some nice aspects to it, but as an overall film, it is a soup sandwich in that it just falls apart. Well, and, you know, I don't blame John Favreau uh, as much as I think a director would normally be faulted for Iron Man 2, just because... It was at a point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe cycle where they're like, hey, we really have to start to tie things together now more than like, you know, Sam Jackson walking out at the end of the first one. And it was serving so many masters. It's like you have to have, you know, you have to have um, Black Widow in there. You have to, you know, you have to do where's uh, where's Coulson going? He's going to Arizona. Like there was so much of that that I think in, in subsequent Marvel movies that kind of dialed back on a bit. Um, just because I think they they saw that a huge portion of Iron Man 2 needed to be about not Iron Man 2. Whereas, to bring it back to Iron Man 3, here we are. It's the first movie in Phase 2. There's no Avengers movie to set up. We're kind of in the after effect. And I just think that it was, uh, it was handled so marvelously. Uh, well, as you mentioned, you know, the beginning of phase two here, and it's a different type of narrative that we've dealt with so far with uh, this Marvel universe. Um, you know, I love the flashback in the beginning and the idea of, uh, you know, telling the story with narration as opposed to a straightforward type of situation. Um, you know, the little call outs you got early on, you know, the scientists that ultimately, uh, you know, helped him in the cave in uh, Afghanistan. I forget the guy's name. Uh, you know, that... Pete, did you did you hear the guy behind us when we went to see it? Who goes? I thought that guy died in the first one. Yes, and that's why uh, it says 1999. And uh, everybody looks younger, and they're playing on the screen. Yes, yeah. including <laughs> Favreau with, for some reason, in 1999, a, a mullet. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, great beginning there and you know as as tony stark says you know i i created demons and that's really the uh you know the theme of the film and um you know again more complex narrative for a more complex universe now 
and uh, we shall see how it plays out. You know, we'll we'll handle the discussion uh, towards the end here. Downey Jr.'s uh, future as a character after you stay <clears throat> through all of the credits for the post credit scene, which I think Matt and I might agree is the least worthy of any of the post credit sequences done to date um, in maybe the most important spot yet. And we'll talk about that for various reasons. But um, once you stay through and watch that, they do throw up on the screen right after, you know, Tony Stark will be back. And given that Robert Downey Jr.'s deal expires with this film, uh, his four picture deal, you know, um, that's got to be decided. Well, I mean, Pete, since you brought it up, why don't we cover that, you know, uh, cover that right now? I mean, here we are looking at, uh, I have the numbers in front of me. We're looking at uh, a movie that did $175.3 million in North America this weekend. Uh, to add that with the international, it's $500.5 million, uh, led by China with almost, with uh, $63.5 million. Uh, I, I mean, this has done huge, huge, huge numbers. And... Um, you know, I know some people say, well, yeah, that's, be-, you know, well, A, it's a recognizable name, B, it's a sequel, C, it's kind of a sequel to Avengers. I mean, not not really, but kind of in terms of your, right. like, my parents saw Avengers. Do you think they'd be interested in seeing Iron Man 3 at some point? You betcha, because it just picks up where Avengers left off, right. left and, off in and, a certain sense. And to hinge the narrative on that, you know, Stark references New York. He's clearly, you know, PTSDing over the events. You know, I I think we could get at some nitpicks later on, you know, particularly the Joe's Crab Shack or whatever chain restaurant scene where two kids come up for autographs. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of forced and uh, really bad writing. But, um, you know, kicking off this second phase and then, you know, the uncertainty now with this particular character, I think, is an interesting wrinkle, given that Marvel seems to have all its ducks in a row. I think that Marvel probably has plan A and plan B. Plan A is, you know, he they meet on a number that they're happy with. Uh right. plan B is, you know, uh a little uh a little character called James Bond who's proven that sometimes you get better. And I'm not saying that you can do better than Downey now. I'm just saying right. James Bond is the example where you sit and say, "Oh, the franchise is over. Robert Downey Jr. is the linchpin." Well, tell that to James Bond, you know, if would it hurt Avengers 2? Yeah. Well, at a certain point, we're going to enter phase three, phase four. Some of the, uh, already, uh, is it Daredevil? Daredevil has, Daredevil rights have reverted back to Marvel. Point Correct. being, at a certain point, which might be five years from now, 10 years, 15, whatever, X Men and Spider Man and whatnot and Fantastic Four are going to come to this universe too. So it's a, it's a short term, pro- the Downey problem is a short term problem. As beloved as he is, I have no problem with them paying as much as they want to, to to bring him back. But if he decides he doesn't want to come back because he wants to go make pottery in, you know, in Indiana or something, okay, recast him. Make it a big do what they do with James Bond. Make it a big thing where, you know, at San Diego Comic Con or, you know, New York Comic Con or somewhere else, you just say, and ladies and gentlemen, the rumors can be set to rest. The new Iron Man is, and they open up the, you know, out on stage comes the, the next Iron Man. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, and I see that. Um, but it, and, and it's a first world problem, man, who plays <laughs> your uh, your lead role in, uh, you know, your comic book franchise. Let's let's, you know, it's this is not uh, Syria and Israel or, you know, right, right. Any other issue, you know, a topical issue like terrorism, which I think we need to address in the scope of this film. But um, I, for one, you know, he, he's the guy. You know, you link him, I think, inextricably to the character and the suit and the attitude. Iron Man, to me, is about attitude. Could you find another actor to fill the role? Of course you could. Have, has Marvel done this already? I think we need look no further than uh, the wonderful Don Cheadle, who has been grossly underused mm-hmm. in two Iron Man movies. Well, and uh, Ed Norton and uh, uh, Ruffalo as the Hulk. I mean, the Hulk movie has, I mean, the Hulk movie had the, had the, I don't want to say indignity, that's the wrong word, but the Hulk movie had the dubious honor of being the first Marvel movie to come out after 
one of the most perfect comic book ever, comic book movies ever in the form of Iron Man 1. So the fact that it wasn't as fabulous as, you know, the nature of Iron Man, which is essentially Batman, but with more stuff, plus he's happy and he bangs chicks. Like, that's the Iron Man template there. Then Hulk is like, I'm on the run because I'm angry. Like, of course, it was going to be a letdown. But bottom line is... You're right. They practiced with uh, replacing Hulk. They practiced practiced with replacing Rhodey. Are they ready to to replace Robert Downey Jr.? I don't know. I mean, let's let's look at you know uh, what was done this week. He was on um, the Daily Show on Tuesday, and uh, he says they're renegotiating um, now that his deal is up. Again, Marvel is content to tell us he will be back. You know that's going to be in Avengers 2. He has to be in Avengers 2. Kill him off if you must in Avengers 2. And I know that um, Joss Whedon has been very open. You know, we're going to go smaller with Avengers 2, and it's about death. And in bringing Thanos in, um, you know, as the heavy, whether or not he will be the absolute villain or not, you know, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. Kill him, put somebody else in the suit. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, how spoiler uh, free do we want to let it roll here, Matt? We're assuming listeners have seen the film at this point. <laughs> Pete, after half a billion dollars in ticket sales <laughs> worldwide. Uh, yeah, yeah. If Yeah, we are going 100% full spoiler here. You know, okay. if, if thus far you haven't figured out that we're going full conversation in the movie, then stop. Count, you know, come back when you're once you've seen the movie. So, well, it, at the end of the movie, to take a take away what essentially makes Iron Man in the you know mixed blessing of uh, you know the repulsor technology in his heart and the shrapnel to have that no longer hanging over his head, as if that somehow takes away the post traumatic stress of having gone through a wormhole to throw a nuclear weapon at some kind of. Uh, alien staging area um yeah then okay uh we've come full circle he's iron man but he's still no longer iron man so there's you know the duality there um it's a it's a closing chapter in the character i was interested with what they did with paltrow uh she's been very outspoken that this is the end of iron man that there will be no more iron man movies I think maybe she means for her. <laughs> um, you know, I was kind of surprised that they um, had let slip uh, and they had intended to that she wound up in the suit at one point. That- now, Pete, here's my question for you. Uh, speaking of Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, I mean, she's 40 years old, looked great in the movie, you know. Ah, at one but point- is she the most beautiful woman in the world? And that was a big conspiracy thing with people within the last week or two. <laughs> well, my, my question to you, that, that uh, external controversy aside, I certainly would agree, not that Gwyneth Paltrow is old by any stretch of the imagination, not that she isn't quite lovely, not that uh, RDJ is, uh, is uh, old, but if they recast uh, Tony Stark, you'd have to assume that they would go younger to a certain degree, if only dial him back to whatever age... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was, you know, in 2008, uh, that would absolutely necessitate recasting her. Just you kind of at this point, you know, if they did another, if they started shooting another movie today, it probably wouldn't come out for another two years or in the filming for another year, blah, blah, blah. Point being, she'd be like 41, 42 with like somebody who's early to mid 30s, you know, that just kind of wouldn't jive. So I think, I think her, her number certainly could be up. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I think she's done. I really don't see why she needs to further participate. You know, we could essentially Natalie Portman, you know, her Avengers style. Oh, we've moved her to the safe location with the vice president uh, who's (laughs) not going to double cross us and everything else when, you know, all hell breaks loose within um, Avengers 2. Um, it's, it's about pushing forward now, Matt, we're going to see, you know, from an effect standpoint, how far Thor with the dark world is going to take it. I know the early discussion on Captain America is that it's going to be this Manchurian candidate esque 
thriller as opposed to a war movie. We're going to get a completely unorthodox experience, I think, with Guardians of the Galaxy. And then mm-hmm. before you know it, um, you know, two years from from now, we're going to be talking about Avengers 2. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it It's an amazing pace that they've set for themselves starting with this. Because you go spring, fall, you know, spring with Iron Man 3. Fall with Thor 2. Spring with... Uh, with uh, Captain America 2 and then is it it's summer it's August for Guardians of the Galaxy all right so I mean essentially we've seen in the next 26 months including you know including this month including you know having seen Iron Man 3 in 26 months or so 27 months you get four Marvel movies that's pretty incredible it is and again you know they have a plan um you know as a Star Wars guy I'm very interested to see now that Disney has Lucasfilm in the fold, you know, what their ambitions are going to be beyond the, um, you know, the J.J. Abrams helmed episode seven with their discussion about character centric only films, spinoffs. You know, if it winds up anything like the Marvel franchise to this point, I will be very, very pleased if it is, you know, teen Han Solo. I'm really going to be disappointed. Well, speaking about disappointment, before we head to some of the larger issues in the movie, the one the one thing that has stuck in my cross since Friday night was that that secret scene at the end of the movie. Now, I know that they I know that these scenes can't be as iconic um as Samuel L. Jackson coming out as some of the other ones that have fully been a springboard to the next movie. But I, st- I turned to you when the credits first started and I said, Pete, you know, spoiler Pete, do you know what the secret scene is? Yes or no? And I needed to, to, to qualify it like that so that you wouldn't tell me what it was. And you said no. So I said, well, isn't the assumption it's either going to be Thor 2 or S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I was right. so excited at the prospect of some sort of S.H.I.E.L.D. Why teaser. is that, Matt? Well, Pete, that's because the old uh, our S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast that we have going on over at shieldpodcast.blogspot.com and on iTunes if you search uh, for Shield podcast, or, or search for PH Geek, that matter that, that that way you can find us quickly. However, if you're already subscribed to this podcast, the uh, Pop Culture Podcast, then you'll be getting that feed duplicated uh, here, of course. So you're already subscribed. Welcome aboard. But um, I was I was giddy at the prospect that there'd be some sort of weird teaser with uh, with Agent Coulson. Somehow, Who's dead, Matt? how how could a dead character be in your teaser for a TV show. Uh, that would be because the uh, unequaled Clark Gregg uh, is headlining the Shield TV show. I personally thought, see, I, I had this whole image, which maybe they're not, um, I don't know, maybe they're not, I can't think of a good metaphor. I was going to say throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That's completely wrong. Maybe they're not rushing the Shield thing, uh, you know, like. The, the whole, you know, you can't have nine women go through one month of carrying a baby and end up with a baby. Some things have to be done at their proper time. But right. I know here we are. It's May 5th, right? As I get over to my calendar, it's May 5th. Yes. With uh, a week and a half from now, ABC will be announcing their, at least their fall lineup. Oftentimes that comes with uh, much of the spring lineup and do you see how perfectly they have timed this for oh hey you can't get enough of iron man 3 well guess what beginning this fall beginning next january uh over three nights of thanksgiving right before thor 2 or whatever it is you know they're gonna drop this um they have it in the chamber i don't know if they fully have their plans for what shield or agents of shield or whatever they've been back and forth on what the so-called final title is um whether it is a full-on series whether it's a mini series whether it's an event what have you but they've positioned themselves perfectly i agree i was disappointed to not have that link begin phase two and begin this idea of hey man now we're no longer just in the movies all I can say is, if there are any uh, possible tea leaves to be read, it's the tea leaf that 
this to me would be suggestive of uh, a, a January launch for the show if they want to use the movie as a springboard movies as a springboard by way of the secret scene um because now I'm immediately eager to see what the secret scene is for Thor 2. Is that going to spring? Is that going to be Thor related, or springboard to Shield, or springboard to Captain America 2? Right. Um, I, I just felt like it was a wasted opportunity, and I think that based on some things I've read online, this is kind of like the first one to be a letdown, a true letdown. I agree. I I liked it in that it again continued the storytelling device of Downey Jr. narrating. And then you see a doctor and quick, oh, wait, that's uh, the Incredible Hulk, but he's got a different haircut. And it continues their bromance there. And it's cute and all, but it it was a wasted opportunity. Well, I tell you what was not a wasted opportunity, Pete, which was the decision to to essentially take the issue of terrorism and make that um, the centerpiece of your villainous story so uh i guess pete i'll ask you what were your thoughts on the mandarin well i mean the terrorism topic has never been more prescient than right now and between this podcast and our next podcast on star trek into darkness it's going to be a major major issue um and again it's not with the idea that disney paramount they're looking to be topical here and and give this to you this is an outgrowth of of what we're facing in the world but in light of the boston marathon last month you know uh you and i had had the discussion before very interesting to see how this played out with the bin laden-esque uh mandarin and then for the the wrinkle to be thrown into it uh that i did not know that it was essentially a made-up character and done very well by Ben Kingsley in really two roles. One as the, the behind the camera <clears throat> Mandarin, or shall I say in front of the camera. And then as the stage actor, uh, screw up who plays the Mandarin, um, nice wrinkle. I agree. It was a nice wrinkle. I had you know, I kind of avoid the spoilers more than you do. Uh, so to hear that spoiler Pete didn't see that one coming, uh, is I think this is shocking news. Put it down in your <laughs> in your notebooks, everybody. It won't but, be the same way with Star Trek, uh, Matt. Don't <laughs> don't you worry your pretty little head. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I found it to be so incredibly brilliant to say in this age where 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 anyone in the world nine eleven nine eleven nine eleven. I beat you to it, Matt. Sorry, that was that <laughs> well, was, was you, uh, Justin. <laughs> I was going to avoid trying to say how we live in the post 9-11 era, but okay, fine, we do. But anybody living in this world now where, you know, terrorism in your country, terrorism in your part of your country um, can can happen. I thought, what an incredibly bold decision to be, you know, because look, the Mandarin is basically Bin Laden, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the Yeah, I mean, the the analog. I had rewatched Iron Man um, this week, and I'm glad I did for various reasons, but um, the symbol that the Mandarin uses before his broadcast is the symbol of the Ten Rings, which is the terrorist organization that had seized Stark by proxy for um, his mentor figure, uh, Obadiah Stane, in the original. And that they kept that continuity, that that would continue to grow. And again, that the Mandarin is this amalgam you know, he's got the Chinese persona. He's got the camouflage jacket, a la Bin Laden. You know, is there the idea that maybe the United States had trained him, um, that he speaks with a very anglicized, understandable um, dialect, uh, all of that. And, you know, and not making light before, certainly, of 9-11, but this idea that, you know, 9-11 now, in the light of the Boston thing, has changed. Before it was, well, that was the attack. And now there has since been another very jarring attack and investigation. And I think it is uh, an end date and a start date into a new period here. We're a decade on, and now we have this. And the storytelling that's going to be done about that is now going to have to be reflective of that time. Before it was, you know, 
all right, how are we going to react to this type of magnitude and storytelling like uh, Battlestar Galactica and things like that in the post 9-11 era? And now it's going to be, I think, that they're even more of a threat, whether homegrown, whether, you know, um, immigration comes into it, you know, the idea of sleepers more so beyond the 9-11 aspect, you know, and that this guy is clearly a Brit um, and pretending to be something else and everything that goes on with that, you know, certainly it's not a predictor, but it really kind of seizes on, to use Matt's word, the zeitgeist of what's going on right now. Well, I just found it kind of incredibly affirming that the movie spends the first half basically saying, you know, here's here's your Middle Eastern terrorist who the Boston attack aside, you know, kind of is the is the great specter, whether it's bin Laden, who now obviously is dead or 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 whoever. And then just to basically say this guy is a fool. This guy that you fear should be feared. This guy has done bad things. Uh, and we'll we'll forget for a moment that, you know, he kind of was just the the puppet. But there are real threats out there, says the movie. But the people behind some of the people behind these threats are just fools. And if only everyone knew that, uh, then, you know, then then some things would make more sense. Maybe these people would have less followers, that kind of thing. I, I was thinking a little bit back, having seen Zero Dark Thirty, which, you know, was about the the, the, the hunt and, and raid on uh, Bin Laden's, uh, hunt for Bin Laden and the raid on the, the compound. And just kind of the, you know, coming out of that where it's like, oh, hey, you know, hey, everybody, I guess you didn't know he had three lives and kind of had a night, you know, was not hanging out in the caves. Um, that kind of notion i felt like like iron man 3 was kind of kind of just saying you know there are bad people out there and they can really do some bad things but they're kind of fools and and we're gonna get through this that's kind of the message i took at least from the ben kingsley role side note uh, i'm sorry go ahead well let's talk smart writing for a moment okay you know creating the mandarin as the bad guy but not the true threat that was smart writing and doing it in the way too. I mean, let's talk about these terrorist organizations and marketing and branding and everything there. And not as if they're, uh, you know, Disney and Marvel is putting an idea out here to copycat. They're uh, building upon an idea that is out there in that, you know, the act is carried out and then the claim of responsibility and everything that goes on with that. And given in a weekend where uh, E Entertainment's website was hacked by, um, you know, and, and a claim of responsibility was made by some a branch of a terror network, again, this is the unfortunately evolving face of this type of manipulation. Yeah, I, I thought that for all the over the top, and I mean that in a very loving sense, but for all kind of the over the top, you know, action and all the suits and, you know, blah, 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 and kind of, you know, Guy Pierce looking handsome and all of this. I thought that it was an extremely kind of accessible, modern, in the moment movie um, where it didn't need to be an analog to this event or that event, but it's just kind of like, I don't know, it, 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 felt, it felt real where, let's say, Avengers was just like, they're giant space lizard robots who had, fly on what giant space lizard whales. It that's pretty funny right. and a, cool a and awesome. Clearly more defined uh, antagonist within some twists and turns. There again, the demons that our protagonist creates and the shadow, which you know from a um, excuse me from an archetypical standpoint is important here and the symmetry within the three films, um, you know, handled well, no problems with that there. I think they did a great job. I think there's some places and Matt, I know you have some places where we might, uh, pick a couple nits. Well, let's head to that right now. I am, uh, I, I think I know what you're talking about anyway. If you're not, well, <laughs> we'll go to where I want to go. Then you can take us where you want to go. I um, remember reading an article 
about 18 months ago that basically said the problem with 3D is that your local theater doesn't want to turn the bulb brightness up to the proper brightness because the bulbs are like $8,000 a piece and then, you know it'll make the bulb go out sooner. So therefore, your average 3D movie is underlit. And all I know is I personally spent two and a half hour, two and a quarter hours watching Iron Man three at our local theater. I am sure that it was. Un- I'm sure that they did not have the bulb set properly. I'm sure if you had the cinematographer, if you had Kevin Feige from Marvel, if you had the the head of Disney in there, that they would have been outraged at the projectionist, who I'm sure is just doing the job of his corporate overlords from uh, AMC. So. I almost re- the 3D effects are great, but I regret seeing it in 3D because I felt that the the picture, the artistry of the picture was was marred by what I've come to expect from 3D, which is under you know not not lighting the the project the projector properly. Now, Matt, you know I think it's uh, pertinent to point out that uh, you have less than perfect sight because. I want to say, as somebody who has no problem telling you he has 2015 vision, I found it to be fine. I had no qualms at all with the lighting. I almost kind of wonder, is it the smokiness of the glasses that maybe are giving you a hard time? Because the other thing I would endorse about this film is if you're going to see it, if you can see it in 3D, see it in 3D. I, I thought they did a... Uh, tactful and tasteful job of uh incorporating it um when needed i will agree that and this is probably just uh just also speaks to the direction of kind of the 3d industry at this point there weren't a lot of those in fact i i don't remember there being any of those kind of egregious 3d things where it's like Oh, well, I'm going to spit the water out and it's in your face. Welcome to Universal Studios. There was kind of none of that. It was just kind of like some stuff was closer and some stuff was farther away and some stuff was in the middle. Yeah. I mean, the the over the top stuff, you know, a, a missile coming at, you know, Tony Stark's Malibu home. That's both expected and I think easy to do in that medium. I like the more subtle moments of, you know, after the uh, Chinese theater attack the ash in the air, um, that kind of thing. That is artistry to me. And, you know, within the mise-en-scene of, uh, you know, the film brings you in there. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely was a, it it was a good 3d, uh, 3d version of the movie. Uh, I stand by what I'm saying that it was underlit. I feel like, I feel like, I can name movie after movie that I've sat in where I'm taking the glasses up and down going, wow, your whites are white without the glasses. Your whites are muddled with the glasses on. Okay. Um, but say lovey. Well, given that we're going to be seeing Star Trek Into Darkness on uh, Wednesday, May 15th, the head of uh, most ordinary folks and seeing it in IMAX 3D, that's a thesis uh, to continue to explore in our next conversation. I guarantee you the IMAX situation is set up properly, if only because there's, there's rel, you know, relative to the number of 3D theaters in the country, there's so, so many less IMAX. Plus, they're charging you, like, I know 3D in general costs more, but, like, IMAX is IMAX. You know what I mean? Like, they're, uh, they're not going to be like, you know, let's try and get a little bit more out of the bulb. It's like... No, they're happy to have IMAX movies, and then you know what? When 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 they're not showing Star Trek in the Darkness, they're going to be showing you know International Space Station or whatever. Like their job is to wow you each and every single time. They need that wow factor. That's kind of like you know the difference between a Disney World ticket and uh, you know a, a tickets to rides at the Boardwalk or something. The the big one needs to always wow you. So wait, Matt, are you saying there will be no darkness in Star Trek Into Darkness? <sighs> There will be the picture that J.J. Abrams and his cinematographer intended. Okay. Well, while darkness is coming, I think we need to get it back on here to uh, Iron Man 3. Um, let's bring up the, uh, the kid play in this film. Um, you know, Iron Man, Marvel, comic book heroes, this is a kid thing. And we have to shoehorn some children at you uh 
and we have to eat our freaking lima beans as cinema goers. Um, two scenes I alluded to before, you know, uh, Colonel Rhodes and Tony Stark out at what really appeared to be a Joe's Crab Shack. I was looking for uh, the promotional uh, tie-in. I'll tell you exactly what that was. Okay. That was a, a I well okay. That was supposed to be Neptune's Net, which is in Malibu, California. Um, I, you might recognize it from a, a scene in Fast and Furious, the original one where. Uh, yeah, I don't the, watch crap, but anyway. Oh well, um, I've actually been to Neptune's Net. This okay. was a. I have since is it read a chain? that this was. It's not, but it's kind of one of those iconic, you know, like you drive 30 miles to go to Neptune's Net. This actually was a recreation that they built when they were filming in uh, in Miami, but it was supposed to be Neptune's Net in California. Yeah, it it felt uh, chain-esque. And, hey, let's have, um, you know, all right, let's just say two VIPs at a a tall table and a little boy, little girl come up for an autograph and – we're going to continue what is a classified discussion about <laughs> terror um, after, you know, little Johnny or, you know, it's unimportant what the what the kid's screen name was, asks, hey, what did you do in the wormhole? And, you know, uh, Stark has an anxiety attack. That was God awful. See, I didn't get that. And maybe I just need to go back and watch it again. I don't recall them continuing to have an overtly, an overt conversation about the classified material. Is it You know, I don't remember the exact dialogue, one way or the other. Um, I turned to you and I said, as if they would continue this discussion in mixed company. They're talking about the Mandarin. They're talking about space aliens. The little kid, and I think that was led to be subjective. You know, did the little kid really ask what went on in the wormhole or is that just Stark's psyche in regards to what he's been through? Um, You know, that, that experience clearly changed him. Is that the cause uh, expressly of the insomnia? Is it just a hangover effect? What was it? Um, That scene really took me out of the story. Wow, some uh, some harsh words there. Yeah. What was the other scene? Well, the that other you little kid we, we had to oh. get. Um, and I did love the banter with um, Stark, and that Stark would not treat him with kid gloves at one point. You know, refers to him with a name I'm not going to say on the podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, was it also the name of the uh, the first name of the uh, the Bond girl in Goldfinger? Yes, yes, without the galore part. Okay, <laughs> um, but it was cuteness galore, Matt. With that, and okay, here you know, have a piece of my technology and use this on your bully, which later you know we use, um, you know, to get out of a tight situation. All that was fine, though. Okay. But when we come back to it and we've got to get the Verizon uh, Fios tie-in at the end of the film, you know, uh, Potato Gun Mark For two seconds. What's that? For for two seconds. I I will admit it is complete. It's the first thing your eye goes to. Takes you out of a story. It's one thing. And again, I'm not trying to go disney marvel to paramount star trek but it's one thing you know when uhura asks for a budweiser classic it's not smacking us upside the head oh that was product placement that was product placement okay we're gonna watch iron man 3 in 10 years and be (laughs) like verizon fios divix what yeah, I think that that. I mean, you're right. I'm thinking of some of the James Bond uh, tie-in stuff when you know when uh, when like you tie Royale. in the Heineken, it's timeless, right? Especially well, as a Dutchman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, it was egregious. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, it, it it comes down to, you know, did you want there to be 42? Or 42 uh, suits that come and save him, or I guess 42 minus five because the five blow up in the beginning. But you yeah. know, did you want whatever 37 suits to show up, or did you want 30 suits to show up at the end? Because 
Verizon Fios probably, you know, that money helped pay for, you know, another seven computer generated suits or whatever. That's that's kind of how I look at it. And that's really my last nitpick is, okay, the dronification of the suit and the idea that, oh, now we got to have one that's chunky. We got to have one for essentially every style and every purpose. We got to have one that apparently has you know, uh, pincher hands and, you know, uh, different looking faces and everything like that. I thought that was really excessive. I dig that they all got blown up and we made this, you know, uh, you know, fireworks and everything like that. But, um, that was really kind of, again, when you play with these characters, um, I think there's a fine line between, you know, homage and uh reverence and then i have a new toy look what my new toy can do and i'm gonna and and that was clearly a screenwriter out of control and probably too like hey we have this extra money let's have all these suits show up well, speaking of that very topic, and earlier, Pete, you used the word nitpick. There was an article making its, uh, the rounds on, uh, on the Twitter sphere. Uh, it's uh, by David Chen. It's on Slash Film. And uh, you and I have not discussed this, this article. I actually don't know if you've even read it. Have you by any chance? No. Okay. Well, then I'm going to. His uh, article is titled Five Things That Bothered Me About Iron Man 3. Uh, each of the five things starts out with a bolded sentence and he kind of goes into a couple of paragraphs were uh, worth i'm going to read these five bolded bulleted if you will uh statements and let's get your response okay mm-hmm. uh, because i think this first one in particular uh i think is i bet you'll be able to come up with the answer to his question faster than he took to write um took to write the two paragraphs about him complaining about it so here's the first thing the father david chen why does Tony Stark spend 70% of the movie trying to repair slash power up his suit when he has a remote-controlled suit army at his disposal? He did not spend 70% of the movie trying to fix his suit. I don't know what movie you watched. That wasn't the case. Well, let me ask you this, Pete. Let's just, for, for anybody who might be a little fuzzy on the events, um, when Tony Stark lands in, it is Tennessee, right? Yes, Rose Hill, when, Tennessee. When he lands in Tennessee... You can finish this sentence. The world thinks he's dead. Dead. So therefore, at least for the short term, he's trying to keep the low profile, right? Mm-hmm. Furthermore, Pete, um, at it's about a storytelling quarter- device. Well, wait, <laughs> I thought that too. That was my initial reaction. But here's another thing that uh, somebody on Twitter, a uh, friend of, I'll get the name in a second, um, pointed out. Um, about three quarters of the way through the movie, do you happen to recall what anonymous people were doing at the rubble of Stark Mansion? Cleaning it up, man. Cleaning it up. He's got trashed. And I'm going to have the name for you in one second here. Um, Come on. Um, And it's not happening at the moment. Um, Somebody on Twitter, whose name I will have momentarily, pointed out, yeah, you couldn't get the suits out of the sub-basement area till the remnants of the house were taken off the top of it. It's as simple yeah, as that. I had, I had zero problem with that in a, in the scope of a comic book movie. Right. Um, everything there. Uh, if anything, I thought the whole, well, now we've kidnapped the president and we're going to do that. I thought that, you know, I was trying to figure out, well, what's our climax going to be? And when they held back the Air Force One stuff that they had shown you at the Super Bowl, I thought, oh, that that could be a pretty compelling climax, you know, something there. And then they had the infiltration with the Iron Patriot and everything there. I was let down by the locale of uh, where the the final confrontation was. It it felt like the A-team. By the way, as a side note, that was Jurassic Griffin on Twitter who had uh, pointed that out. Uh, all the suits were trapped underground until, you know, stuff was, was cleaned up. But, um, yeah, just to, to return to your point for a second. Yeah, on the one hand, I'll admit it's not the, the best, uh, you know, it wasn't the best locale for the climax. Flip side, and I think something that we didn't fully talk about, I loved the commentary that the real bad guy is just 
and not to wander into either uh, Ra's al Ghul or Joker territory. But the real bad guy was the guy behind the guy. The real bad guy just wanted to watch the world burn while he's selling his guns and whatnot. Um, and the real bad guy, there's kind of the, there's the line there from, uh, from Guy Pierce, you know, he says, you know, I am the Mandarin. Kind of that, that notion of, you know, it's kind of winking at the audience, like, he really has been the Mandarin all along. Aside from the whole guy behind the guy, like, you know, a la, you know, who's the real Ra's al Ghul? Is it uh, Ken Watanabe or is it uh, Liam Neeson? That kind of dealio going on there. I thought it was really, really well done, despite the fact that there is a Ra's al Ghul and a Joker. Uh, I don't want to say familiarity, but it's it's familiar territory, but it didn't feel familiar watching the movie. No, it didn't. You know, I, I thought it over the top for him to have to tell us he was. I think it was you know, strongly explicitly, uh, stated that, all right, he had created this. I, I would have lost the, I am the Mandarin, but I get it. Yeah. Anyhow, back to David Chen's uh, article. The second one, I know you will agree with product placement up the wazoo. In addition to Fios, there's also sun and Oracle stuff. Uh, he uses a TCL cell phone, which I've, I'm personally not familiar with. Uh, he drives an Audi, and David Chen wonders, is that uh, why there's a lack of a Mustang logo on the car at the end? So your thoughts there? I mean, I, anything you want to add? I'm Pete, fine with the other references. You know, all right. There was a top left-hand screen Sun Oracle logo visible for a, a good 15-second <laughs> chunk of dialogue, but nowhere near striking you as in a reveal moment. Ooh, newness verizon fires technology you know the ad campaign they currently have with a little kid for a science project putting together an iron man suit okay that was egregious yes uh the third thing is let's let a killing machine on board with the president of the united states here referring to when iron patriot uh with the baddie gets onto there and david chen says um Let's see. Here's the deadliest weapon known to mankind, but let's not take five seconds to check if he's actually manned by the guy who's supposed to be in there. Um, why would you ever believe he wasn't? You had never had a situation in this universe where the suit had been hijacked. There's no reason to check it. You would think there is a biometric reason, uh, given that technology, that would explain that away. I had a bigger problem with why does Iron Patriot need to be on Air Force One when he can fly on his own? Yeah, and why would he why not would take you the put helmet off? The, why would you put a, a bodyguard that can fly next to the president on right, Air Force right. One? Yeah, I think it, his, his point is a bit, uh, is stated a bit sharply. I don't think it's, an entirely inappropriate question. I think somebody's trying to make their bones off a $175 million opening. <laughs> David <sighs> Chen, that was for you. Hey, we're talking about this movie too, you know. Anyhow, um, this next question, which I believe is fourth or fifth, uh, WTF is Killian's plan anyway? Uh, um, Pete, yeah, I'll let you answer that because I have an answer. His, his plan is to... Uh, install the next president and uh to have a total connection there uh did you not get that did do we need to draw you a picture right i mean i'll, I'll read you word for word um, what, uh, the, David the vice president's daughter also uh doesn't have a limb um could we not piece that one together too i'm not talking about the limb i'm talking about the plot right. Here's the second paragraph from his uh, his comment on that. But aside from some quest for power, what the hell was Killian trying to accomplish? He tortured uh, Tony Stark because Stark spurned him back in 1999. Sure, he used the Mandarin as a spokesperson just because it made good business sense. He was going to install the VP as his figurehead, and he was going to force Tony to perfect the extremist formula. And what? Why did a guy turn so nutso and evil? All in bold. All of the other villains in, Iron, in the Iron Man movie franchise have had their motivations better conveyed than this guy. Uh, and that's not a very hard, uh, high bar to surmount. No. Uh, no. I mean, he, he says he wants to, he's going to put, uh, he doesn't say this word for word, but he's going to put a Warhawk in the White House and then 
say, look at that bad Mandarin. Would you like to buy my super soldier stuff? Again, it's the anti-Tony Stark, much like um, the Sam Rockwell character in, um, you know, the Schmishmorshan that is Iron Man 2. It's about casting uh, enough of a foil uh, here, um, you know, one time limping, uh, you know, not as good looking guy who puts on the emperor's clothes and gets like Tony Stark in appearance and reputation could potentially take his girl could potentially take his business could potentially take his life and cementing his position. Um, if you don't get that motivation, I think either a, you're trying to find a problem or B you didn't really pay attention to the story. Harsh words. Here's the last thing that bothered David Chen, that disaster of an ending. And Pete, I won't read word for word, but I'll just mention uh, he includes in the disaster, let's see, the curing of pepper pots in seconds, uh, the not necessary arc reactor in uh, Stark's chest. Um, He calls it a rushed ending, which sets up Robert Downey Jr. as... um, Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark, but not as Iron Man in Avengers 2. He clearly says, I'm Iron Man. It's about what the character can do. I can see why they made the decision to take it out. Um, The tortured aspect of, of what he's been through. You know, we've seen over the course of three movies, Tony Stark is his own worst enemy from you know, the business that he owns to the demons that he has in the second one dealing with the booze in the third one dealing with, um, you know, that he's been a jerk to people and, you know, those chickens coming home to roost. Um, Extremis is a deus ex machina. It's a way of explaining something. No one in theater doubted the moment that Gwyneth Paltrow slipped out of his hands that we weren't going to see her again. Right. No one. Okay. Um, So just as magically as that technology came to be, just as magically it does whatever the writer's fingers on a keyboard determine it's going to do. And that's the end of the story to really expect that uh, it's going to be linked otherwise. Now, what for me was a problem with the ending was, okay, so um, Pepper Potts is cured again in seconds, but then how then is it applicable to Tony's situation, given that we didn't see it used on Tony? It was never directly uh, linked to him, but we can make that assumption that it was. And then they use a magnet to pick up the shrapnel, which had been held at bay with a magnet. Um, you know, I, I think that was a little bit of an issue there. I, I did not have a problem with the... Um, the epilogue within the film of going to the edge of uh, my now demolished Malibu playboy style home uh, with all my goodies, with all my gear, and then taking the, uh, the one robot that is always uh, made fun of and putting that behind him on his little cart and driving away. Cue uh, Avengers two for Tony Stark. Yeah. Side note. I mean, Yes, including that little robot at the end was like including Scotty's little assistant played by uh, Deep Roy uh, in, in Star Trek. Keenzer? It was like absolutely, man. Keenzer's yeah. back, yo. I I had no doubts. He's in a commercial. Um, what's that? He's in a commercial. I thought I'd seen him. Yeah. Um, regarding, let me put forth a theory here that the movie doesn't explicitly spell out, or or not, none of the three movies explicitly spell out, but I think it addresses what David Chen is saying, uh, if you want to use your brain. Um, Tony Stark, okay, well, it's no question that Tony Stark is this incredibly arrogant, self-centered you know, person, right? So when he initially puts the magnet in there, you know, when he's in the cave in Afghanistan, okay, we understand that. Is it possible that once he you know, once he becomes Iron Man in the suit, it's now like, hey, maybe there is a surgical solution for, you know, the shrapnel in my heart, but I'd rather live on the edge with metal moving toward my heart. I'd rather live on the edge in this 
style and I'd rather be Iron Man with this thing powered by me. Like, would, it fits with the character that he would let himself be in this dangerous position in order to continue to live this dangerous, exciting life that he has, particularly at where we're at in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where he's the only superhero in, you know, in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the first movie. And then, yeah, as time kind of goes on, you start to go, oh, well, there's, you know, some kind of, like, quite strong guy from the World War II era who comes back and... You know, there's like somebody else who's like a science experiment gone wrong, but is he a good good guy or a bad guy? We're not really sure. And oh, there's some like magic guy from another realm who like we as humans can't really aspire to be. So like, you know, Iron Man is still kind of the height of superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that all goes away. I mean, that's like you know, why does I, did, why I do, disagree? And I'm going to tell you exactly right, how fire away. bring him back for for the second one. He's a thrill seeker. How does he get the injury in the first uh, in in the first place? You know, to be in Afghanistan in a war zone. Um, you know, yeah, it's revealed after he gets the hit. He had a flak jacket on, but his own technology went through the flak jacket. Um, he they're going to bring him back because he's bored. We're going to find that Tony Stark, two years on, is bored if we don't see him. Uh, you know, in a sideways of of any of these other films to come. And, you know, he wants to play again and the thrill seeking aspect and the duality of, well, I have the curse that the thing that saves me, you know, keeps me alive, forces me to do this good. But he's the only superhero that likes being the superhero. Captain America, you know, Hulk, Thor, you know, it's all with regret. Um, It's with a heavy mantle, you know, and. Tony Stark, that's who he is. He is Iron Man. Ah, Pete, what a what a rip roaring reflection that was, eh? It's definitely the best Iron Man movie to this point. Pete, I think that the the best part of this movie, which kind of in retrospect, having talked about all these movies with the surprise bad guy that isn't the bad guy, just the fact that the the dastardly guy Pierce goes from kind of being like, you don't trust him, but you're like, hey, meanwhile, there's this Mandarin guy who's actually the bad guy. And then, no, it turns out that Guy Pierce actually is the Mandarin and that he's propped up this this false front in order to, uh, you know, manipulate the, the, uh, the circumstances to his advantage. It is the meme that has happened a little too often in this early Marvel cinematic universe um, that I hope marvel's agents of shield doesn't fall into (laughs) yeah it would be uh it would be too procedural a la your csis and ncis's and all that if it's like at the halfway mark it's like well guys we found who the bad guy is it was old you know slick willy who was there using his superpowers and then it's like no it actually turns out it was an inside job dun 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 Next week, it was an inside job. I think it'll be more be a bit more obvious if they decide to go that route on a on a weekly TV show. Yeah, and laborsome at that. Indeed. Well, certainly we we'll hope between ABC and Marvel Studios and uh, all the talent there that they uh, that they can wholeheartedly avoid it. So, Pete, as we go into kind of the 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 home stretch here before the show begins. I know we've already talked at length about the show so many times, but what, you know, what, uh, what are you looking forward to? What, what anticipations do you have beyond the, the, the general of, oh, I hope it's good. I'm anxious to see how, um, Coulson will reveal himself. If it's anything different than what we've seen in the commercials, um, and how, the uh, rapport between the cast uh, develops. Um, I'll tell you, <clears throat> tell you too, on the other side, I am dreading the internet hacker angle and just hope that that is a breath of fresh air and the necessary plot device of catching the uninitiated up Oh, you don't know who Captain America is? Oh, all right. Snappy internet hacker girl spouts it, blah, 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 or the Hulk or whatever. Um, 
I hope it's not forced. I hope it's not lame. I think that, and I'm certainly not anticipating um, a negative outing, but there's so, so many times when a pilot episode, because it carries the weight of a pilot episode to, to explain the nature of the show, to introduce characters, you know, it's obviously, it seems like it's going to be done with what I believe you called either last week or two weeks ago, or two or three episodes ago, Cocky McCockerton, kind of the average Joe guy cocky like, everyman is ah, the character's I, name I, I apologize cocky yes. everyman um wires o'toole is the uh snappy uh female internet hacker <laughs> but i mean usually one way in, in a script to introduce the audience to a world is to um have a character that needs things explained to him or her i'm thinking of winston in ghostbusters at a certain point you need somebody to turn to and say oh this is how that this works this is how the that works this is how you empty a trap and you know all that um i just hope that uh that construction there is not the equivalent of having things explained to you like you're slow or um you know unable to hear like yelling it louder would help you understand it well i mean let's not forget this is a show that is has it, it is directly made possible by the fact that in the Iron Man post credit sequence they didn't talk down to the audience because if you were just went to go see that movie and had no understanding of Iron Man at all or of the uh, you know of the Marvel universe you're just like hey whether you're taking your kids or you're taking your grandkids or you're just like I'm not really into comics but I like you know this is supposed to be a good movie and then some guy walks out and says you know, oh, blah, blah, blah. Have you, it would be, it would mean nothing to you. This is a, this is a show that is a product of a, a tightly knit universe that can still breathe enough to have its parts be independent. And I really have to think that, that, that aesthetic will continue, that it's not going to, you know, it'll kind of live under that, that spirit or that umbrella. Hey. We're going to let the proof be in the pudding, man. That's the hallmark of the PH Geek podcast is we're going to call it as it is, not as we see it. I almost am feeling nervous because the anticipation, I feel like a kid before Christmas morning, but there's also the possibility, you know, that that the present won't be there. Um, Because as I said, you know, sometimes a, a TV pilot can misfire a bit. And I think if there are any tweaks to be made, you know, they'd make it quick enough, but still you kind of like, you want to start with big momentum. You want to say that was a fun pilot. That really was indicative of where, where, where we went, but I guess we'll see Pete. We've podcasted two pretty good pilots to this point and uh, that we're on our third show here should tell you that, you know, how you start isn't always how you end. Very true. You know, sometimes that's, sometimes it's, the audience as a whole that doesn't buy a show sometimes it's frankly us that doesn't buy a show uh, I, I i i hope that this is the sweet spot where it's it finds a big audience it finds a vocal audience you know that it's not kind of oh i sit on the couch and this is the show where i can veg out I, that's frankly not the kind of show i'm hoping for it's not the kind of show i'm 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 i, I would want to watch we all have busy lives and sure i have my veg out time on the tv but i want to be actively engaged with this show i want to be you know i want to be having a dialogue not just with you pete on the podcast i want to be checking the website to see what other people have commented i want to be whether it's people talking to us on twitter us seeing what other people have to say you know i'm not trying to put us at the the top of the communication pile at all i want to get back to the kind of show where there's a big vocal fan base that loves the show even you know warts and all where you can call the warts warts, but just can really get behind a show and there's a big show community out there. That's what I'm hoping for. I think we're going to get that. Let's hope so. I mean, we're, we're, we'll be tuning in in uh, you know, about 24 hours and we'll, we'll find out. So with that, Pete, I guess this is, a, this is the, the end of the preview phase of the podcast. Do you have any final bits of a uh, preview before you know, first I sign off, then you? I'm ready for phase two. Oh, excellent. Well, on that note, a quick reminder, do share your feedback. 
We have some new contact info heading into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Twitter. We are Fantastic Geek. That's with a P-H. You can send an email to fantasticgeek at gmail.com. You can call the listener line, leave a message, 732-707-1815. And lastly, you can visit the webpage, shieldpodcast.blogspot.com, and leave a comment there. And uh, let's jump on in, guys. I'm ready. Pete's ready. Hopefully all the listeners are ready. And uh, adios, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. Pete, what is your final word? Matt, I can appreciate that you would tell me your uh, hopes and thoughts about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I'm, I'm just not that kind of doctor. <laughs>